the top issue for voters is the economy. He lied about that. The next issue is probably education. Lied about that. The next issue is probably public safety. Lied about that. And a hot button issue that a lot of parents are talking about, transgender ideology overtaking our institutions, lying about that. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. We have legal troubles for Trump and Biden. We have some very compelling testimony on Capitol Hill. And one of the big events of the gubernatorial race, the, a, a big forum in Louisville this week in Flyover Country. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Sean Southard is here, Kevin Grout, Jared Crawford, and Scott Jennings just off the set at CNN, joining us from New York City. Hey, Scott. Good evening. Uh, I have to tell you guys that we were just sort of going over the rundown of the show. And you know what we didn't even put in it? Uh-oh. The UFOs. There was. <laughs> oh, I actually, I actually watched an hour of that uh, during a baseball game. I had it on in the background. It was fascinating. Do you watch that at all? I mean, we now have sworn testimony from somebody who claims to know that we somebody. have aliens. from somebody who claims to know. <laughs> well, here, well, here's what I don't understand about this: you have whistleblowers blowing the whistle on aliens, and the media thinks that's great. And then you have whistleblowers blowing the whistle on Joe and Hunter Biden. They're like, well, let's don't call whistleblowers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I guess it depends on what you're blowing the whistle on, how seriously they take you. But the uh, the aliens was a kind of a fascinating thing, among other things that happened in Washington. This I, guess, I guess the aliens must be Republicans then. <laughs> Since I was watching this, I actually watched this, Scott. The best part about the hearing on the UFOs, or they called them something else, UAEs, or that was... Or is, it, is that United Arab Emirates? You know, whatever yeah, it was. Why, wait, you know, why are they changing the name of UFO? I don't know. Well, it's it's insensitive. They, the they changed the it, words it was, of everything. They was, hired a good PR firm. <laughs> That's right. It was triggering. Like, uh, well, did you, find, did you find something in the crash? Yes. And was it, was it a biologic? Yeah. Was it was human or non-human? It's like non-human. I'm like, what if he identified as human? We don't even know. <laughs> These are our future overlords. Human. Let's not yeah. offend them. So we won't. Yeah, I mean, he, he might have identified as a human being, and now we've taken away his identity. Come on now. We won't play the the coverage of of this, but I will just tell you if you l- listen back to it on YouTube, the best part about it was one of the uh, I don't know if it was a ranking member of the chair kept getting it confused with the the, the incident they were talking about was a the Tic Tac incident. Apparently, this this foreign object that was moving around below the F-15 resembled a Tic Tac, a little breath mint Tic Tac. That's what it was shaped like, the cylinder. He kept calling it Tic Tac. The Tic Tac. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a whole other thing going on. Listen for that there. But thank you, Scott, you for seen, the... If you've seen the video, by the way, of that incident, it, it is crazy. Like, this yeah. this object is moving. And the, and the Air Force pilots who saw it and recorded it, we're going nuts because obviously right. they didn't know what was going they on. They said so this anyway, object went from basically the, the right above the water and the ocean to 80,000. Uh, in other words, like into space is where it was going from in no time at all. I think climate change caused it to to go that fast and rise that rapidly. Honestly, climate. That would, that would be good. So, Scott, <laughs> uh, just off the set at, and, uh, at CNN in New York and, and reacting to the uh, the news of a 
added indictment. This is not basically the January 6th. This is back to the Mar-a-Lago and the documents case, yeah. right? And, That's right. But re really, um, I, I, I'd like for you to sort of recap some of your arguments here because I thought they were so good. This is not good for, for of course, any Republican or for Donald Trump. But at the same time, there are people who are still going to be trying to, you know, s stick by him and uh, and and somehow defend what is continuing to be a worse and worse scenario as far as how this is looking for his legal case. Yeah, well, let's first of all go over the news. I mean, it's just happened a couple of hours ago. The new charges include two counts of obstructing justice. And it's all part of the prosecutor's allegations that Donald Trump last summer tried to delete, essentially, or, or wipe a server containing security footage at his home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach. And they also charged him with one count of willfully retaining a top secret document. And this was based on the audio tape, which we've all heard, where he's waving around a paper. And, and there's been conjecture, and I think maybe even Trump at one point tried to say it was newspaper clippings, but basically now they have the document and it's about a possible attack on Iran that was described as highly confidential and secret. So they've got the Iran document, which he showed to these biographers, which we've heard an audio tape of that, and then some additional obstruction of justice. I listened to some of our legal analysts tonight, including Ty Cobb, who was former Trump White House counsel for a bit, and he just said, I think his quote was something like, uh, you know, the first the first uh, set, you know, indictment that came out on the documents was, you know, an indictment that'll last a thousand years. And this just makes it an indictment that'll last into antiquity. He was pretty mortified at just uh, what a strong case they had against Trump. So I came on Erin Burnett tonight and she was sort of analyzing this to, to give some perspective. Um, you know, I think the average Republican, right or wrong, but most Republicans are going to analyze the news of the week and say, so... The Department of Justice this week did two things. They tried on one day to give Hunter Biden, the president's son, and Donald Trump's chief opponent, blanket immunity for all future criminal activity that he may be involved in. And then the next day they came in and went ahead and piled on top of Donald Trump. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that is a correct point of view, although it is a point of view, and, and certainly Trump the evidence is to be believed deserves some of this, but, but that, that was my sort of analysis was that a lot of Republicans are going to see it that way. It's the same department of justice dealing with Biden's one way and Trump's another separate cases, separate issues. I get all that, but just, you know, most people aren't lawyers and they're not going to stiff through it like that. So that was, and then we talked a little bit about the political ramifications of it and, and so on. Uh, but I don't suspect Republicans are going to react to this any differently than they reacted to it a few weeks ago when the first set of indictments came out, which is to basically argue that Joe Biden's trying to put his opponent in jail and they're going to stop at nothing to do it. The uh, I guess maybe the similarities as well is that this this drip, 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 though. I mean, with the Joe Biden case uh, and with Hunter Biden, you know, it was for a long time. Joe Biden swore up and down. He never talked business with Hunter, and now he's changing it to somehow say, "Was it Kevin that?" Uh, well, he, he never has talked about business. No, it used to be he never talked about business. Now he's never he was never in, in business, business with, with him. It. So it's a kind of a shifting you know, line there. But right. the longer this is going on, and I think we talked about this once before, Scott. But are you sensing? You know, obviously you deal with the national media every day, and you're on you're part of the national media. Are you sensing <laughs> the worm has turned at all? 
the people are a little bit more critical and looking at this Hunter Biden situation with Joe Biden is to say, well, maybe Joe Biden is, has, you know, maybe went a foul here after all. Well, I think honestly, the whistleblower testimony uh, from a couple of weeks ago really was powerful. And even though like the Washington Post and New York Times have kind of ignored it, I have to compliment CNN. They've had the whistleblowers on the air. Back this morning, I was on the morning show and right after me, they had one of the whistleblowers on. You just can't ignore what they said. It really calls into question whether Hunter Biden is getting away with, you know, proverbial murder here uh, when it comes to all the things he was engaged in. So then you go to this court hearing this week on him. And basically the Department of Justice and his defense lawyers were colluding to try to put one over on the judge and give Hunter Biden uh, immunity and perpetuity for anything else, including the foreign lobbying stuff that he's under investigation for. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Hunter Biden going overseas, getting state-owned foreign entities to send millions of dollars to the Biden family. He didn't pay taxes on it. He also didn't register as a foreign agent. Well, he's still apparently under investigation for all this, and they were trying to wipe it away. So, yeah, I do think the worm has turned a little bit on it. And I, I just don't think you can ignore these whistleblowers. And we have to credit Congressman Jamie Comer, friend of the pod of Kentucky, for uh, for helping draw this out. And uh, and um, um, I, I, I mean, look, the, the Bidens own nothing. They don't they make nothing. They're not experts on anything. The only thing they're selling is Joe Biden. He's the product, the vice president and now the president is the product. It's influence peddling at best, and it is highly illegal foreign, you know, influence enrichment operations at worst, and we need to find out which. And I think we're going to get that information because, like you said, Scott, the House Republicans are doing a great job, both Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan over at the Judiciary Committee. I mean, they're not only doing these big explosive hearings, they're out in the media talking about it, explaining it to the American people, making it understandable for us. Um, and yeah, they're, they're talking about real tangible payments that went to the Biden family. And I think I heard today some while he was vice president from overseas. So, you know, good on them yeah. for, for staying on top of this. Good on this this judge who, you know, this knew that this this deal didn't pass the sniff test. And she sent them all back and said, try again. Um, you, you, you can't. I, I think she was questioning even the constitutionality of what they were trying to do on his gun charge. Right. Oh, yeah. The uh, the judge. Uh, I think was the, you know, the, the hero of the week for not just rubber stamping this. She said at one point, I feel like I'm being asked to rubber stamp something here. And there was like even information in the, they were trying to sneak in that she hadn't even seen. It, it was a real shady deal. So good job on that judge. It didn't um, Hunter's lawyers like call the courthouse pretending to be somebody else and then lie about it? I was going to ask about that. Yes. They were yeah. representing themselves. It's, just, it's, it's crazy what they can get away with. Oh my gosh. So, so, you know, when you, when you sort of round it back to Trump and everything that happened today, you just you're going to have a continued political environment where Republicans look at the Department of Justice through, you know, a very, very jaundiced eye. And honestly, for good reason. Yeah. Well, on, on, on both Smith. sides here, though, the problem is with, all, with both these situations, it's pretty clear they have them dead to rights in both cases. This is the whole situation of if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and smells like a duck, it's a duck. And this is, I mean, both of these presidents committed crimes. Joe Biden you know what, shouldn't you know, be president. Donald Trump shouldn't be president. And let's just get over it. You know, what's interesting is the timing of all this. The, the documents case had already set a trial date at, for May of 2024. There was some conjecture tonight about whether these new indictments will impact that. The whole reason, by the way, I'm in New York is because everybody was expecting Trump 
to be indicted on January 6th of this week. And that didn't happen. This news really shocked everybody. But I was talking to one of our legal analysts because I was saying, well, does this mean the January 6th stuff would come up after the documents? He said, not necessarily because the documents case is more complex. You have to have, you know, because some of the documents are classified and you got to go through these hearings and clearances. He actually thought if Trump gets indicted, even though it's the second indictment, federal indictment on the on the January 6th, it could even go first. He said, look, this this case could be tried in five months. It's open and shut, cut and dry. There won't be you won't have the same complications. And so if you're Trump and he's right, you could be looking at a scenario where, where you've got two federal trials essentially within the first six months of 2024. The New York trial, remember that that dog is still <laughs> That, that's scheduled for 2024. And then the Georgia stuff I read today, they were putting up barricades at the courthouse in Atlanta. Right. Obviously they're fixing to, they're fixing to do something down there. So if you're Trump, um, you really are looking at a scenario where a whole big chunk of your time is going to be taken up with trials, preparing for trials and, and seeing how they unfold. It would be quite unsettling if I were in his shoes. I sometimes look at these situations and wonder about, a quarter of a century from now or 50 years from now, or historians looking back at all of this, it's so clear what both of these men have done and their respective families or others or associates have done. It's very clear. The other thing, if I could, and the other thing going on in D.C. today, dramatic in my opinion, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Constitution and Limited Government, it was a hearing on quote-unquote gender-affirming care for children. This is another example of an absolute crime being perpetrated on children, and and the, these the the medical some parts of the medical community who are all too eager to perform sex change operations and or uh, puberty blocking and uh, lifetime consequences uh, for these children who express some confusion about their about their developmental years. In this case, there is a woman named Chloe Cole, 19 years old. Actually, she turned 19 years old on, on Thursday. She testified on her 19th birthday, who at the age of 12 placed a letter on the dining room table for her parents to read, um, coming out as transgender, basically to her parents at that point. She now tells this is a mistake. You know, she was a confused 12-year-old. But unfortunately, her, her parents went to a very receptive and or uh, activist doctor who said, do you want to have a, you know, a, a dead daughter and a live son kind of thing? And, and, and kind of threatened them into saying you needed and immediately put this girl on puberty blocking drugs, as well as later on performing a mastectomy on, uh, on this child. Now she's 19 years old, realizes I'm a woman. This was this was this confusion I was going through. My life has been ruined, and but incredibly gracious and emotional testimony at this judiciary subcommittee today. I didn't need to be lied to. I needed compassion. I needed to be loved. I needed to be given therapy to help me work through my issues, not affirm to my delusion that by transforming into a boy, it would solve all my problems. We need to stop telling twelve-year-olds that they are born wrong, that they are right to reject their own bodies and feel uncomfortable with their own skin. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option, that they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through, just so they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. 
Today, I should be at home with my family celebrating my 19th birthday. And instead, I'm making a desperate plea to my elected, my elected representatives. Learn the lessons from other medical scandals like the opioid crisis. To recognize that doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. I was so moved by this yeah. woman's testimony. And it is a it is a cry for help. It is also a shock to the senses, and it's sort of like this it is it is this 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 clarion moment as to say, stop. Stop the madness. How old did you say she was when all this started? Twelve. 12 years old. You know, when I hear politicians, by the way, we're having debates about this stuff. A lot of these Democrats, Andy Bashir <clears throat> falls back on it. Well, we really just need to let the parents make all the decisions here. This is all sometimes, sometimes parents do things to their children. They ought not do. Especially if they're relying on the advice of medical professionals, like, you know, many parents would do who are pushing an agenda. That's right. And it's sad. Yeah. These, these, this is a, it was a terrible story. And Chip Roy, I think of Texas, um, brought, uh, the witness to the table today. So it was good that this was exposed. Thanks for playing it. It was, it is. Mm -hmm. if, if you watch more of the hearing, you can look it up obviously on, on YouTube and other places like that. It's, you know, this whole, this whole concept of quote unquote, it still just drives me up a wall and it makes my skin crawl to, for this whole phrase of gender affirming care to be used in the first place. It is, it is uh, <clears throat> what is the word I'm looking for, Sean, from propaganda terms in terms of being able to... It's, Double speak. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly the opposite. It's yeah. Orwellian yeah. Of, of what it actually why, is. Well, the yeah. left... Why, why, wait, why did you look at Sean when you were looking for help and in in, in coming up with, like, unethical well, when you propaganda? Propaganda, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, he did really say, you know, help me out here, Sean. What's another word for propaganda since you dabble in it every day? <laughs> But no, I was. You the, are the more. You're you're a very literate, and I, you can remember these words immediately. So anyway, go ahead. I should lean back like William F. Buckley again. You lean, should. Lean. No, but it's it's really interesting how the left co-ops yes. language. I mean, who could be against something like quote gender affirming care? Right. You know, it sounds like a nice thing. Who who wouldn't want to be quote pro-choice? But this is what the left does: is they take these terms and they they. They take them and they use them in a way that conservatives and Jared's raising his hand now. Yes, just say something. Well, yeah, well, they did this with CRT too, right? And you're going to watch the same exact progression. First, it was well, it's actually not taught in schools. That you know, it's not even that good. And then it was like, well, here's the evidence that it's happening. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, actually, it's good that that's happening. You're sort of seeing this the same thing. Well, that doesn't even really happen. You're, you're, you're just making up the boogeyman. They did this with sports as well. Well, that doesn't even happen. And then it happened. It was like, well, there, there's actually, it, it doesn't even matter. Why do you even care about it? And this is kind of this like Mott and Bailey that goes on this kind of like side speak. And you're seeing the beginning of this where first it's, well, that doesn't happen. And then we figure out it happens. Well, it's not that bad. And then actually it needs to happen. And then all of a sudden it's healthcare. And if you deny it, you're denying health, right? It's this like, progression that happens with all of these issues. The, the other thing about this uh, hearing you brought up was this, the, the knots they'll tie themselves into trying to come up with ways to justify this insanity. So there was Kevin Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee. Um, so they're discussing whether biological males should be able to go in a girl's locker room and change clothes with the girls. 
Let's hear what Cohen had to say. I think Penn didn't deal with your situation like they could have and should have in putting up some type of different barriers in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the women's area of, of the locker room. But that's an either, another issue. So basically, he invented separate locker rooms <laughs> for, for men and women. But, I mean, it was so stupid because basically you had people saying, I'm a girl, and they put boys in here and made us change clothes in front of the boys. And he's like, well, maybe we should put up barriers. Maybe we should have separate areas for the boys. In the I'm just pontificating here off the top of my head. You I'm know, just, let me come up with some good just ideas. Just spitballing here. Yeah. Just spitballing. Not sure. But, of course, his, you know, he's a Democrat, and, and he's sympathetic to this transgender ideology. And basically, though, what he's admitting is that there are separate – there is separate biology. Mm-hmm. Biology does matter. And he didn't. I don't think he realized how stupid, but but sort of revealing that people he was. all inherently have a right to feel comfortable in these spaces, and that they shouldn't, you know, on a political whim, all be forced together into an uncomfortable or an unsafe space. Speaking of denying reality and twisting yourself into knots, this issue has come to the fore in Kentucky recently. Well, Senate Bill One Fifty, thankfully has actually taken a a great stand and protected children because according to this bill, which was approved by the General Assembly, yes, overwhelmingly. And was was it just approved, Joe? It was approved. But but how did how did it get approved? Well and and to be clear, well by overwhelming votes. Well I I I remember now. What happened? What happened, happened, Joe? What was the process? Because the General Assembly introduces bills. They pass it. But to be clear, it does it does ban Surgeries, surgeries, to, to puberty change, blockers, puberty blockers, all those kind of things. But amongst a lot of other things, right? We uh, other things, right? Candid about that, right? But I'm saying that that's a big part of it, and mm-hmm. the fact that the, what Chloe Cole is was testifying to so passionately and articulately mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill on Thursday is exactly what the vast majority of the General Assembly approved a bill mm-hmm. to ban just those practices that are barbaric to children. So it passed overwhelmingly, yeah. and after it was approved, mm-hmm. after that it was vetoed by the governor. No. It was. No. Yes, it was. I, I don't believe And you. then it was, but then the veto, because... I have seen, I have no seen an ad here recently on my TV. Yes. <laughs> no. Where the governor the, yes. of the Commonwealth of Kentucky looks straight to the camera and talks about how he's a Christian... And how it's his faith teaches him that every child is a child of God, which everyone, I think, agrees with. And then touts a position that's totally against what he did in March when he vetoed oh, yeah. that bill. Now, he, he must have said that in March, right, Sean? I don't I, I don't know. I haven't, I, you know, it's not like I keep track of the guy. Hey, <laughs> what did he say in March, Sean? Enlighten us. He uh he vetoed the bill that we were just talking about, and he said. So you're that, saying that he literally signed a piece of paper mm-hmm. that 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 stopped a ban on transgender mutilation and surgeries. That's true. I'm sorry oh. to tell you that the governor is a liar. What? But, but but I heard from the reporters that he's been against it all along. Is well, that true, Sean? I don't I don't think so because I think as re, as far back as 2022, he was promoting surgeries. In his veto messages for children. 20, 2022? That was last mm. year. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. When he vetoed Senate Bill 83, which is the bill that banned boys from playing girls' sports, he said, we don't need this bill. You want to know why we don't need this bill? Because we have state guidance that eliminates all potential athletic advantages that a boy would have in playing a girls' sport. This is in his veto message. He cites it. And in it, he cites the fact that there is there are state rules. At the time, of course, this has now been repealed because of the General Assembly's strong leadership. That says that if you want to, if you're a boy and you want to compete in a girls' sport, and you have gone through puberty, you must have surgery. As a minor, really? it's in his veto. He cites it, chapter and verse mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. It's all in there. Are you the telling me? Domain. Are you telling me that the governor of Kentucky? Is looking into television cameras and lying about things. Well, you know, Scott, that's an interesting question. I hate to tell you yes, but it's true because that's the thing that he's done the whole entire time he's been in office. You know what's amazing, Sean, is this isn't even the only thing you lied about this week. No, it's not. What else happened? Do tell. <sighs> they underreported homicides in the state. So, so wait, you're wait. telling me the other day when he had a press conference claiming all this reduction in crime that I know. they lied about it and it was was it just by like one or two no i mean they rolled they rolled out saying we have had a 33 percent reduction in homicides and they left out like i mean jared more than half the homicides in louisville like first of all the the press conference touting these numbers was ridiculous louisville you know they undercounted a hundred homicides in louisville if we go back a decade, there wasn't even a total of a hundred homicides in Louisville. So, so there was that, so, and, and, and then, and, so, and then, then Louisville Metro Police is like, well, I don't know, we reported the right numbers to the state, <laughs> and then it, the all the stories came out, and then eventually KSP was like, oh, we don't know really what happened. Uh, it says mm. it says that you know we didn't get the right numbers from LMPD, and then this this Sean, this all sounds so vaguely familiar. I know. I, you want to go back to like a month ago where he was yeah. like talking about job numbers, wait, about how many Kentuckians yeah. were working, and he said that some number, and then it turned out he lied about that too. Refresh my memory. Yeah, he 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 trotted out a number saying that there is a historic number more Kentuckians than ever before in the state's history were working. Mm-hmm. And then he had to come back and say, well, jobs filled, which means that there are more people working additional jobs in order to make ends meet. And that, at the time, seemed vaguely familiar to something else that happened. It had something to do with teachers. Yes. Remind me. Refresh yes. me. Refresh me. <sighs> this guy ran around the state saying we need to fill the teacher vacancies. There are, mm-hmm. like, all these thousands of teacher vacancies in the state. I can't remember mm-hmm. the exact number, but he got it wrong. By a significant number, and had to be fact checked. Yes, by, by, by like, listen. He was the saying guys, there were eleven thousand teacher vacancies. It's like sixteen hundred or something and, like that. And the number is, is like a small percentage of that. So let's just think. Well, about that's the where the one went from the crime numbers. They just <laughs> so the top issue for voters is the economy. Mm-hmm. He lied about that. The next issue is probably education. Lied about that. The next issue is probably public safety. Lied about that. And a hot button issue that a lot of parents are talking about, transgender ideology overtaking our institutions. Lying about that. Is this the most dishonest campaign for governor or any other office we have seen in recent memory? I mean, I'm I'm having trouble counting up. 
I'm not having any trouble remembering dishonest moments. I'm having a hard time coming up with any honest moments. Does he think we're stupid? Yes. No, that's exactly what he thinks. He thinks he can say whatever he wants and get away with it. He thinks he can do anything he wants in Frankfurt and just pretend it never happened. And that basically no one will ever notice or care or make a point of it. That, that, yes. And honestly, for the last three and a half years, that's basically how he's been allowed to operate. Mm -hmm. Well, now we're in a campaign and you would hope the voters would take a closer look at this stuff. You know, I just, I, I think things could be worse though. I mean, you know, foster kids could be sleeping on the floor and, Oh, oh in dang. state buildings, okay. like office yeah, buildings sorry. without any running mm -hmm. water. That's Andy Bashir's. That's Andy Bashir's. They're Bashir taking too. to the YMCA every three yeah. to four days to shower. Yeah. Uh, Scott, let me ask you as a campaign tactical matter. I was curious and uh, that there actually is, I didn't realize this, and I, I was out of town and missed some of the campaign ads coming out, but the Bashir campaign actually has an ad where he is taking on this. Uh, the the transgender issue. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, just from your experience in running or consulting on campaigns, does this suggest to you that this issue is having an effect on his support and he believes that he needs to say something now about this? Yes, it suggests to me that he knows he is very vulnerable on the issue of radical gender ideology uh, and is trying to inoculate himself by lying. And um, you don't put an ad up like that straight to camera if you aren't petrified about what would happen if everybody came to realize your record and the truth. So yeah, I think he knows it and they're trying to wish it away, trying to wish it into the cornfield like the old Twilight Zone episode. But I just... I just don't think he's going to get away with it. Um, there are other ads on the air uh, from the RGA and one other outside group that are kind of going through a laundry list of what he's doing. This is part of it. But I think what they did was telegraph how fearful they are that people find out the truth here, which I think could entice outsiders to, or camera, it, it, could, it could entice people to continue to focus in on it because He's obviously very fearful, and he should be fearful of it. It's a visceral issue for people. Here's the other, I guess, the other question I have tactically. So if he now comes out in, in opposing his earlier position, which I would think would have won him the support of the more liberal extremes of his party, would, yeah. he, some, would he somehow <laughs> jeopardize the uh, kind of how fervent the support is from those folks? Or are they so against Daniel Cameron that they're going to vote for Andy Bashir no matter what. And he can, he can pretty much just, he can abuse that relationship politically because, mm -hmm. because they're already in the bank or how does that work? Great question. I was kind of wondering if the, some of the teachers that organized all the protests of, S, of, of Senate bill 150 are going to get a group up, whip up a group and go over to the mansion. Yeah. They know Maybe. how to get kids on school buses yeah. and take them to Frankfurt. I mean, it sounds like sounds like Andy Bashir wants to reverse his position on this. Maybe he needs some protesting. I don't know. We'll see. Great question. I mean, if they were so ex excited to take people into the Capitol to scream at the legislature, Andy Bashir is now repudiating his own position on it, acting like it never happened. You, you, you could make a case that people ought to be mad about it. 
Speaking of education and uh, – uh, oh, actually, before we get there, I do want to point out that – and I mentioned it before – that we are in – this is the heat now of of the campaign for governor. Uh, we have several events happening over the course of the next oh, two or three weeks that pretty much define the – for those folks outside Kentucky listening to Flyover Country, thank you. So we have a, several very unique institutions in Kentucky. First of all – um, this week, the Kentucky Farm Bureau every year hosts its candidate forum, inviting the candidates for governor and sometimes for U.S. Senate to come in. Uh, the, the board of the Farm Bureau uh, takes the opportunity to be able to state sort of the policy positions of the Farm Bureau itself and then gives the, each of the candidates an opportunity to, to, to see how whether or not they, they register with those, uh, with those issues. Of course, coming up in about a week and a half, the, the next big event on the calendar will be Fancy Farm. Uh, in, in Graves County at, at uh, St. Jerome Catholic's Church, where you're going to have the, the candidates appearing there. And then after that, the Kentucky State Fair and the Ham Breakfast, the Farm Bureau again. And our state fair is the best state fair. You'd better believe it. Absolutely. It's the best state fair in the state. <laughs> <laughs> so those are, the, those are the three big moments here, kind of defining the rollout of the, of the juice of the campaign. So I guess, was it yesterday? Was it Wednesday? Was the Farm Bureau's? <clears throat> yeah. So tell me about what happened at the Farm Bureau's. Uh, uh, big candidate forum, Sean. Well, it really wasn't a candidate forum because there was only one candidate that showed up. Uh, Governor Bashir did not was, show up. They call it meet the candidates, but I guess they can drop the plural. Yeah, they can drop the S. <laughs> meet the meet the candidates. Yeah. yeah. Also, he did. He was not there. Yeah, he did not show up. Didn't give a reason why uh, that he couldn't be there. Uh, I guess he was, you know, shooting this new ad he was doing. Uh, and so he uh, he didn't show up, and uh, he did show up in 2019. And so uh, Daniel Cameron showed up, talked directly to Kentucky Farm Bureau and uh, the 75,000 farm families across our state, uh, and talked about the state budget, his priorities as it related to agriculture, but also a couple other things as it related to education and, and law enforcement, uh, and uh, even even came out in support of Jason Aldean's song. Yeah, he did. Uh, said he said he liked that song, uh, and so it, it was a good event, and uh, everyone should go watch it at the Kentucky Farm Bureau. I think we have a clip of it that, that Kevin's going to play. Th- this is an important event, by the way, because the Farm Bureau has people in every county. They represent hundreds of thousands of Kentuckians via the Federation and via the insurance company. It's one of the most influential groups because of their reach and the just the, the number of communities they're involved in, and so first of all, they should be commended for doing a meet the candidates forum uh, because um, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get that many ch- chances in a campaign to hear directly in unaltered and unedited ways, uh, substantive policy questions, which you get asked at this thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's hear from Daniel Cameron. Show up today. And you all obviously know that. And of course he will show up at the ham breakfast here in a few weeks and he'll lecture you on your values and tell you what his values are and try to bully you into thinking that uh, your position and values should be different. But I hope that you recognize that is not the way in which I operate and I stand firmly with your values. I respect your values. You'll never have to worry about Daniel Cameron as governor coming to your ham breakfast or any other event. 
Is he saying that Andy Bashir is not coming to the ham breakfast either? No, he said he said he would come to the oh, ham breakfast. He will come. Oh, but oh, but he's to, going to, to lecture, lecture you. them because he doesn't you. want to take their questions. I mean, do y'all remember like a few years ago at the ham breakfast when Bashir refused to show up and he sent this like twenty minute video? Oh, because of was that the year that he didn't go because of COVID? And then he didn't go to Fancy Farm because he wanted to go to Israel, but then canceled that and just stayed home that day. This guy has a lot on his calendar, I think. So the Farm Bureau, two big events. You have the Meet the Candidate Forum. Yeah. You have the ham breakfast. So that'll really be an interesting moment there. But of course, in the meantime, you'll have Fancy Farm, Scott. And we'll have we'll have to talk next week, obviously, to, as a preview of that. But uh, before we move on from the campaign here, are you hearing anything about what to expect at Fancy Farm this year? What's, what 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 are you looking forward to? And for those folks who are listening from outside the state, this this is this is a uh, this is the true kickoff of the the fall campaign. Yeah, it's going to be a big, uh, going to be a big year. I think every candidate for for office on the ballot is participating. It's it's been a while since we've had that condition. Democrats have tried to destroy this event, including Andy Bashir, by not showing up. So glad to see they're back back in participating and um, really looking forward to it. Um, it. It's better when everybody comes and respects Western Kentucky and respects the church and respects what the church is trying to do down there, and and so. It's going to be, um, I've, I've, by the way, I've already heard from a few national reporters who are coming to town. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, I think uh, I think we're going to get a lot of attention on Kentucky uh, first Saturday in August. Are they seeing this race as a harbinger of the presidential race next year? Well, I think it's fascinating for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, um, you know, Fancy Farm is, in a, in a gubernatorial year, is, is really fascinating and uh but yeah, I think, and you know, of course, Bashir and Cameron are both young and and are interesting for different reasons. And so, yeah, I think uh, I think the national attention is gonna is gonna start to pick up on this thing pretty soon. Mutton or pork? That's the big. Question. I always get the I always get the mutton because you just it's not around that much, and so when you can get it, get your hands on it. I used uh, to, but I, then I just decided I just don't like it enough to get it. Anymore. Oh, mutton's the best. It's the best. Is it? Well, you're you're from Western Kentucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. where, where, where does Western Kentucky start, by the way? Oh, I mean, how much, how much time do you have? The most controversial <laughs> question you've asked. It's true. <laughs> no, Wait, you are, let, let's play a game. Do you consider Elizabethtown to be Western Kentucky? No. 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 Okay. Do you consider uh, Litchfield to be Western Kentucky? Uh, right on the... No. It's, it's, I, it's, it's, it's the gateway to the West. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I really... They need an orange there <laughs> yeah. at McDonald's. I mean, I I could go either way on it. Do you, so, so any, but but you think anything west of Litchfield, like Beaver Dam, Greenville, Central yes. City, Dawson, you, you think that is Western Kentucky? Yes. Do you consider Bowling Green to be in Western Kentucky? No. Really? Well, why do you, not? Do you, do because you it's consider too far Western south? Kentucky? Do you consider Western Kentucky University to be? In Western Kentucky. <laughs> well, also there's the other. Thing At one about point, it was. Yeah. There also <laughs> is the whole difference between West Kentucky and Western Kentucky. Right. That is a big distinction. Yeah. Let me ask you this: If you had to describe where Bowling Green is in the state, how would you describe that portion of the state? I mean, well, for, like, do you agree with me that it doesn't have a West or Western Kentucky vibe to it? Like, I agree with you. <laughs> yes. But I, I've heard. I understand that they have the I, name. I, I, I want to hear. I want to hear yeah. Scott. Go ahead, Scott. 
but what? I agree with you, but th- this came up the other day because there's a, there's an ad on TV right now where this dude is describing Southern Kentucky, and I've never heard it's a Bashir ad and it's some some dude claiming to be a Republican and he's like Southern Kentucky and I I've never heard anyone refer. I've heard Western Kentucky. I've heard South Central. South Central. Yeah, that's, that's what, what, I, that's what I would I've say. Heard that's South, right. yeah. I've heard Southeastern. I've heard Eastern. I've heard Central. I've heard Bluegrass. I've heard Metro Little. Northern. I've never heard anyone call it Southern Kentucky. Do you know anybody that calls any part of the state Southern Kentucky? I, I've met a couple people who have said that, but I always just... And what, and, and, and what state were they from? They from? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because really, basically, I mean, Southeastern, certainly you can identify. Yeah, but I would always... I would always, like, in my own language, I would use South Central to describe Bowling Green. Right. I think that's right. All right. Even even though it's the home of Western Kentucky University. Yeah, yeah, it should be South Central University. Well, you might. This is a whole other can of worms we're going to open up. But there is a distinction between Western and then West. Right. That is true. Like, the purchase area, (laughs) very different. Very different from, (laughs) quote-unquote, Western Kentucky. I will say it's important, and to your point earlier, Scott, to kind of put a bow on it here. It's an area of the state that rarely gets adequate attention, uh, especially the farther east you go and the more into the state capital. And yeah. and Fancy Farm is an opportunity where it's on the map. And it is an opp- and, and and let's you know let's make sure that with that tradition and and those those great folks in that area are are respected and honored. And let's make sure that a lot of money is raised for St. Jerome Catholic Church, all the great work they do in that area. It's a pivotal battleground in this campaign. Uh, Bashir's the ancestrally come from West Kentucky. Uh, Daniel Cameron picked a running mate, Robbie Mills, from Western Kentucky. If they win, he'll be the only constitutional officer who lives west of I-65. And I do think there's a feeling in Western Kentucky that, uh, that um, you know, it's, they're often overlooked by state government. Right. And, uh, and so Cameron obviously gave a nod to that. So uh, I expect both campaigns to be spending a lot of time down there, but pivotal battleground, you know, rural area, Republicans got to run up the score down there. Scott, I want to ask you before we uh, wrap it up here this evening about uh, something else that really got a lot of attention this week. And you actually uh, were repeated, quoted. I saw highlights of your appearances on CNN on all kinds of different uh, social media feeds and such. And this has to do with the Florida history curriculum. And the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, uh, and and her statements about this remind me where where this stands and and uh, and and what's the latest on this? Well, last week the Florida Department of Education uh, unveiled its curriculum standards like on a number of fronts and um, including on teaching African American history and. Kamala Harris fabricated out of whole cloth, manufactured of whole cloth, a controversy about it. You've probably seen something about it, claiming that Ron DeSantis wanted to teach kids that slavery was good. It was a good thing. Help people. Completely made up. I mean, this whole thing was totally made up. Not to mention that the standards were written by African-American PhDs. That the that the scholars who wrote it are saying Kamala Harris is lying about what we did here, and seven months ago, remember? Do you guys remember the controversy in Florida over the AP African American yeah. Studies course? Sure. Turns out that the the AP course that Kamala Harris and all Democrats in the world thought was the gold standard African American Studies course contained the exact same language 
that they're now complaining about in this course. This entire manufactured outrage, and you have all the Democrat talking heads go on TV and repeat all these lies, and the media, it, this is just like Don't Say Gay, it's just like the book bans, just like COVID, I, you know, what, whatever. Love Donald, uh, Ron DeSantis, don't like him, wanted to win, don't want, I'm just telling you, I don't think a true story has ever been told about Ron DeSantis. So Scott, you were on a number of different uh, of programs on CNN. I think, is this from, from State of the Union? So from Sunday morning, yes. or what do you have? Here? Yeah, this is. I mean, I was listening oh, back to it. This is the one. This is the one that went viral. Oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. Here's Scott and friends. It's amazing to me that how little Kamala Harris apparently has to do that she can read something on Twitter one day and be on an airplane the next to make uh, something literally out of nothing. This is a completely made up deal. I looked at the standards. I even looked at an analysis of the standards. In every instance where the word slavery or slave was used, I even read the statement of the African-American scholars that wrote the standards, not Ron DeSantis, but the scholars. Everybody involved in this says this is completely a fabricated issue. And yet, look how quickly Kamala Harris jumped on it. So the fact that this is her best moment, a fabricated matter, is pretty ridiculous in my opinion. I love the music. That was a nice touch. <laughs> the Yeah, one of my sparring partners had said that they thought this was Kamala's best moment as vice president. I'm like, so she sees something from the left wing fever swamps on Twitter one day. She hops down to make a speech the next. And her best moment is on something that they literally just had to make up. Pretty, pretty stupid. I mean, honestly, this was insane. So many of these things that have happened to DeSantis, beginning with COVID, Offer it's 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 just one insane made up thing after another. Then then Joe Biden did something at the White House this week. He designated the Emmett Till sites, three sites about Emmett Till, as national monuments, which I wholeheartedly agree with, by the way. The Emmett Till story needs to be told and memorialized. People need to know about it. National monuments are an underused presidential power in my perspective. So I agreed with that. Then he gives a speech, and he sort of was like, at a time when our history is being erased and people are banning books, we have to – so he, like, tries to throw shade at Ron DeSantis, which, in my opinion, cheapened – He you know, he falsely demagogues on, on this thing, which I think cheapened the Emmett Till designation, which is right and just, but then he cheapens it with this false, stupid attack. There's nobody banning books about about Emmett Till. He, I think he was referencing the pornographic material that they don't want to have put in the hands of kindergartners. No one's banning any books. No one's banning any books. Sexually explicit material is being taken out of the hands of elementary school children. Which, by the way, is a pretty, pretty much a practice that <laughs> that's, it's time in memoriam that we keep harmful materials or age-inappropriate materials out of the hands of children, right? But, but but this whole thing was just completely made up right. on Twitter by the left, amplified by Harris, and everybody just swallowed it. And I just felt like I needed to stand up for the truth here, and I did that, and people went crazy about it. But I, but it, I think it got a lot of attention. But to me, what sealed the deal was finding out that the exact same language that was in this was in the AP studies that they were all touting seven months ago. The just goes to show you they read nothing. They believe in nothing. They have no shame. They feel no compunction whatsoever. 
They just are partisan hacks. That's it. That's all they are. Partisan hacks. The number of times they've gotten away with this is outrageous. And I, I, I don't think there's an analog anywhere in recent memory. I mean, do you remember the whipping at the southern border? Yes. Or, yes. Uh, G- Jim Crow voting laws in Georgia or anywhere else. All of these Old are. Connor. Exactly. All of these are just people, made people up. in Georgia. People in Georgia are going to die of thirst if these laws pass. No one will be allowed to vote in Georgia. There will be no voting. There will be a drought. <laughs> and and I mean, what was the average wait time to vote? Three minutes. Uh, yeah. This is all and just made up either on Twitter or between Joe mm-hmm. Biden's ears. And then they just rush to a camera to talk about it, trying to own the cons. It, it, it's it, it incredible blows up how in their fast, face time and time again. It's incredible how fast some idiot on Twitter can say something and they all just, it gets written into their gospels. Yep. It just it must be true. Do you guys remember back in the, 2020 election when they all became convinced that Donald Trump had ordered all the blue mailboxes to be destroyed. Yes. Yes. So that no Democrats. Yes. Literally, they all took it as gospel that Trump had ordered all the blue mailboxes to be taken up and destroyed so that Democrats who were too afraid to leave their homes couldn't vote. And no, no amount of debunking, no amount, by the way, it was Obama who ordered any, any blue mailboxes that got taken away. Obama ordered it. A B. There, there was multiple ways to mail in your ballot, but they it became religion on Trump and the mail ballot. These things become part of their gospels so fast, and then once they're in, you cannot get it out. No amount of what about this? Have you seen this fact? Have you seen that? No, no amount of show me the evidence will ever get it out of the gospels, according to Kamala Harris. One of the things I thought was the most offensive part of this, one of the black scholars who helped write these standards went on uh, Megyn Kelly's show and was talking about the Florida Teachers Union that had like immediately come out and, of course, was, you know, spouting the Democrat talking points of this. And he was on Megyn Kelly's show and said, we invited them to be a part of like writing these and reviewing them and figuring out what needed to be a part of these standards. And they never showed up. And then as soon as they're out, they're like, oh, my God, how could these standards be written like this? I mean, it's just, you know, like the the fake, you know, uh, it's yeah, it's sort of like the virtue signaling. But I mean, just like the dishonesty in terms of how all of this happened is is just mind numbing. And then, of course, everything comes back to, well, now it's controversial because they lied. It's now controversial. It is noteworthy to me that this almost always gets applied to Ron DeSantis. Like everything they 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 don't. They manufacture all this stuff, and it's almost always about DeSantis, which gives you a little window into who they really fear, I think, in some ways. And I don't look DeSantis' campaign is struggling, right? I don't know what's going to happen to him, but the fact that it always comes back to him is pretty telling, in my opinion. Kevin, you mentioned the the canard of uh, people going without water and and, and the lines for Georgia voting and and the, the, the terrible conditions that were there for people voting. It reminded me, Scott, of the terrible conditions for the Texas Texas Congressman Greg Kasar this past week <laughs> who went on a who went who went on a nine a nine hour <laughs> hunger and thirst strike. Nine what hours. A, what a hero. So basically nine hours. So basically he, he didn't he eat between lunch. meals. But he ate an early lunch and a late dinner, Joe. Was I mean, it was a sacrifice. <laughs> this is, this is... My, my, my favorite part of this was was he staged all these photos on the Capitol steps, and he had like a nurse 
like taking his pulse and checking had, the oxygen uh, in his blood on his little yeah. finger. <laughs> and there was like someone handing him his first cup of water. And he's like got his shirt unbuttoned and they're taking these photos of him. Literally, he didn't even skip a meal. <laughs> didn't even skip a meal. Nine hours. What was he even, pro- was he even protesting, by the way? I, th- like, I, I, think it was, I think it was working conditions in the heat. It's hot. It is the summer. Yeah. It is the summer. Um, I still bet he raised a million dollars over that nine hours or something. Just the, it, it takes a special kind of shamelessness to be a liberal politician these days. I mean, you, you have to, you have to be willing to stare into a camera like Andy Bashir or make a speech like Kamala Harris or sit on the Capitol steps like this loon and make an absolute fool of yourself in the eyes of most people to please your core base. I just, I tell you the lack of respect they have for themselves is it's just, I'm, I guess I should stop being astonished, but it's astonishing every time we see something. Scott, before we wrap up, of, yeah, just, go ahead, Jerry. That image of him on the steps where he's like, they have like a cold towel on his neck and stuff like that, only rivals the image of AOC when she went to the border and was like pretending to weep in her all white clothing. And they had real pictures and it was like a lot full of SUVs. They like weren't actually, wasn't actually looking at kids in cages. That, those two pictures to me are like oh, the no. greatest. Oh, no, I'll do you one better. When AOC was arrested in front of the Supreme Court and really just and, gingerly walked yeah. away, but she held her arms oh, behind her as if she was in handcuffs. Yes. She put her arms behind her back and wanted the photos from the angle. She, yeah. that, was a, that was a pretty good These one. People. That was a pretty good one. It's pretty crazy, man. That is a yeah. typical ice skating maneuver, though. You put your hands behind your back like that. I think she was just yeah. practicing. Yeah, for the ice follies. Smooth. She was stretching. She was <laughs> stretching. Scott, before we wrap it up, I do want to ask you, uh, friend of the pod, friend of uh, all of us, uh, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell this past week <clears throat> uh, certainly made news uh, for for unfortunate reasons when um, he he paused for uh, for a lengthy amount of time and appeared to be maybe dehydrated. I don't know what the situation is. I'm going to ask you about this. But obviously a lot of different conjecture out there from from the press and such when – um, when there was concerns for his health at the podium there at the the Ohio clock, uh, the media gaggle that happens there every week, uh, you have since spoken to him, and I yeah. have not spoken to anybody else who has spoken to him. I know that I saw him later on on the floor of the Senate, and later, I mean, he's been engaged in a, in a number of different activities and it doesn't appear to be worse for the wear, but tell me what he told you. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure you've all seen the video by now. You know, he told me he got a little lightheaded and, you know, stepped away from the podium. I, I do think the way this is being played on TV is a little dishonest. Everybody's showing the video of the podium, but what they're not showing as much of is they came back a few minutes later, took all the more questions that he normally takes. Then he left the press conference. He then went immediately and met with Kevin McCarthy. Then he had some other meetings in the Capitol. Then he made some phone calls, including with Joe Biden. He talked to me, called me. Then he went to um, a dinner in Washington at night of all the major league baseball owners and made a speech at a dinner. Then he went back to the Capitol, went down to the floor as the Senate was voting on some NDAA amendments and was down on the floor for a long time with the, with the rest of his colleagues. So and he had a momentary sort of like lightheadedness and then immediately resumed his schedule. Today he's been, he met with Commerce Lexington. He met the, the Italian, Italian prime, prime minister. Yeah. Yeah. Who, by the way, I'm going to talk about that sometime. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, uh, 
by the way, Joe Biden, did you guys see his tweet? So he met with her and he said, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where I felt a little, a little uh, strange that, uh, you know, my last name didn't end in O. Like he was trying to claim that he grew up in a, now he's already claimed he grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. Now he's claiming he grew up in an Italian neighborhood, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. He also said, I, I'm Irish, but I won an Italian man of the year award or something. He had, he had a lot yeah. of things he was trying yeah. to trade on. But anyway, McConnell met with her, uh, and then they finished up. I think they finished up the NDAA tonight. Mm-hmm. And so this this man has kept an amazingly vigorous schedule. Um, and uh, and how, I did how talk did he to sound? him. How, how did his voice great. sound? Yeah, yeah. sounded great. He sounded uh, like like Mitch McConnell. I mean, I've known the man since I was sixteen years old. I mean, he sounded like Mitch, and we had a good chat. And he was kind of prattling off about all the all the things he had to get done, which he then did. Uh, Kevin McCarthy commented on their meetings. Uh, um, and said he had, you know, seemed like normal Mitch McConnell. All of his colleagues in the Wall Street Journal today are saying, "Yeah, he's our leader, no problem." So, I, I think he's fine, honestly, and uh, he sounded fine to me. And now that the Senate is done, looking forward to seeing him next week. I know he's um, confirmed to go to Fancy Farm, uh, and so I look forward to seeing what he has to say down there on the big stage. Gentlemen, any uh, scene Red heard this week? Anything to share with us that you've seen, Kevin? Oh yeah, I got a good scene. I went to go see the new Oppenheimer movie. Oh, yeah. Mm. Last Friday Don't tell night. me how it ends. We'll talk about that the later. Bang. Um, so, not not so with the cool. whimper. Three <laughs> hours long. I went to go see it at 10 p.m. on a Friday night, which was not my best decision. It was a long movie. But it was it was so good. So to watch, to see the story, I big recommend. Didn't go see Barbie. I saw Oppenheimer on the IMAX, and it was amazing. It is three hours. It's a long time to sit in a seat, but... Uh, I mean, obviously, we've done it on the podcast tonight, but it, <laughs> but uh, it is a, uh, it's a great, it's great. I mean, it's going to be Nolan's one of Nolan's masterpieces, and yeah, I didn't know a ton about Oppenheimer. I've heard of him, of course, but I hadn't read the book, and so now I'm sort of motivated to read American Prometheus uh, about all the political intrigue that went on with Strauss and everybody. It was, it was, anyway, good call out, Jared. Uh, I started watching The Blacklist on Netflix. I've never seen that before. Which it's uh, like know, a step back in time. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was just added or it's just been trending right lately, but it was on the front page of Netflix. And I like uh, James Spader. I actually liked him as Robert California in The Office, which I know is <laughs> you were the only contract. one. I think. <laughs> yeah, I might have been one of like five people who can. What that. he was terrific. He was oh, amazing. I think he's brilliant. I think he's brilliant in that. Um, and just some other things. I like him, and so I'm maybe four or five episodes in, and I like it. I sort of like the been looking for something to like kind of play all the time. It has a lot of seasons and maybe you can skip an episode or two. So uh, I've enjoyed the first five or six episodes so far. It wouldn't be flyover country if I don't say something to embarrass myself, but you reminded me, Kevin, about, you know, seeing this movie and did you you not off at all during this at all? Did you fall asleep? No. Okay. Well, I have before, not during that movie. (laughs) Back in a previous life when I was, I used to review movies as part of one of my radio gigs. Oh, yeah. And, um... So it was. Is that was, the last time you saw a movie, too? Stop it. Anyway, and I made it my goal for several years to see every Academy Award nominated movie before the Oscars to be able to, you know, to, to, to you know, to uh, comment on that and predict. But when you're seeing like three movies in one day, after a while, it can kind of wear on you. And at one point, I did wake Gosh. up. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Having to sit and watch three movies in one day anyway, can really wear on you. I'm just saying. Anyway, 
at one point I did. I came very close to being locked into Showcase Cinemas overnight <laughs> in Louisville. I fell asleep. It was you not should, good. If you watch three movies, if you watch three movies back to back to back, you were on like a bit of a hunger and thirst strike. I was. Come out and- they actually had my the little oximeter on my on my finger there. They're keeping track of that. Is he okay? Get him some jujubes. He's all right. All right. All right. First, uh, this guy. Anything else well, going? No. Any predictions? Yes. Oh no, yeah. No predict. I, I want to do my scene. Red her. Oh, I thought you did. Okay. Yes. Every week you try to cut me off from this. I okay. do. Also, I Here's didn't my... get to do mine. I didn't get to do mine well, either. You he... said no. You shook your head. You changed well, your mind. Let me do mine. All right, Scott. Go ahead. I am looking at a letter is on it, congressional. Is it X? No, I'm looking at a letter on congressional letterhead. Signed by Congressman Morgan McGarvey of Louisville, Aaron Houchin of TBD State. Want to look that up? Southern, right. Southern, Indiana, Southern, Indiana, Southern Indiana, Indiana. She's right, right across the, the river from <laughs> Louisville. Okay, and Thomas Massey, my congressman, also and they are the writing. They are writing to the Honorable Rena Bitter, complaining about and asking for a passport office to be put in Louisville, Kentucky. Morgan McGarvey says in his tweet, a Democrat, by the way, Kentuckians shouldn't have to travel all the way to Atlanta or Chicago to get their passports renewed. Louisville is a major travel hub in a highly populated region. We need a passport agency. I'm leading a bipartisan effort to make that happen. I just wanted to say I read your letter, Morgan McGarvey. I read your tweet. Thank you to the congressmen who have joined Morgan on this. The passports are a mess. We need services here in Florida. Florida country needs its passports. It's a total mess. If only there were someone who were in charge of the branch of government that manages passports to clean this up. But thank you, Morgan and Brett and Thomas, for getting on the passports for flyover country. Anyway, I wanted to call that out. Bipartisan effort, long overdue. And I will echo that by saying that the State Department has no accountability on this. There are faceless bureaucrats behind the scenes who have completely bumbled the entire passport uh, application and processing process, and there is no accountability for it whatsoever. Sean, go ahead. So they released the, uh, I guess, the final bit of the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. Had not seen that yet. Recently. Mm -hmm. So I started watching that. That's my scene. Oh, can I do it? Does Jim get with Pam at the end? (laughs) Can I do another one? No. It's Flyover Country with Sean Southern. Go ahead. I... I also have been watching something because I've been on an airplane a lot the last few weeks and I don't have Paramount Plus, but they have some of their shows on the flights. And I've been watching a little mini series called The Offer, which is a show about the making of The Godfather. Oh, and it's the recollections of uh, it's he's in it. Uh, It's the recollections of Al Ruddy, who was the producer of the film and how all the crazy things that happened with him trying to get this movie made and how he met with Joe Colombo. And anyway, it's delightful. If you, if you're sort of interested in the inner workings of the movie business, but there's just some hilarious sort of overacted characters from the Hollywood, you know, era. And uh, anyway, I, I find it fascinating. I don't have Paramount. I have to get on airplanes in order to watch it. I'm going to try to watch another episode on the way home tomorrow. But anyway, since everybody else is watching stuff, I'll throw mine in. The offer on Paramount. Kevin and Jared, do you have a double up scene Red Herd before we go? No, it's over. That's okay, it. it's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, look for you on the networks. Thanks for listening. For Sean, Jared, Kevin, and Scott, I'm Joe. Have a good night and a week.
Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.